I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 142. Captain Phil interviews me about the Democratic National Convention that took place last week. Well, today is August 25th, 2020. It's been a rough day. I just saw a news conference in which attorney Benjamin Crump was talking about the shooting of Jacob Blake, an African-American man who was shot seven times in the back. He's, thank goodness, still alive, but obviously not in very good condition. I'll probably be doing a podcast about that at some point. In the meantime, you might want to listen to the podcast I did back in June about the problem with police authority. But this past Sunday, two days ago, I got a request, a last-minute request, from the notorious Captain Phil. His full name is Phil Merkel. He has his own show on WUSB-FM Stony Brook. I've appeared on that show. And by the way, WUSB is where Howard Margolin's Destiny's show is broadcast. And I've appeared lots of times on that show. So I'm always glad to get a request from anyone from WUSB to be on their show. And we had a great conversation two days ago about the Democratic National Convention that had just taken place. So I'm going to play that conversation for you right now. You'll hear before the conversation, Captain Phil was good enough to play one of the songs, Samantha, from my new album, Welcome Up, Songs of Space and Time, which just got a great review in Ugly Things magazine. So... Things are looking good for that album. The reviewer is John Pruitt. So thanks again, John. Here now, though, is the conversation that Captain Phil and I had just two days ago. The Light on Light Through podcast. I have my buddy uh, Paul Levinson calling in at uh, 9 o'clock. We're going to talk about uh, the Democratic National Convention. We're going to talk about the world's first or the country's first virtual COVID political convention. And uh, I have some opinions and ideas, and uh, I know Paul's going to have opinions and ideas, and I guarantee you this, Paul's opinions will be informed, and mine will be emotional. Captain Phil's Planet, WUSB, no. I, I never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> Yasuko Nagazumi. Uh, um, yeah. Thank you, Roy Belquist, for, <laughs> for having me meet her. This is my buddy, uh, Paul uh, Levinson, with Samantha. 
our buddy Paul Levinson here on WUSB Stony Brook. It is Sunday night. It is 9 p.m. Let's make it official. You are listening to WUSB Stony Brook, 90.1 FM and W297BM Stony Brook, 107.3. Captain Phil filling in for Christian on this Sunday night. And my guest, Paul Levinson, is on the air. Can you hear me, Paul? Yes, I can, loud and clear. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, welcome to the airwaves of WUSB again, Paul, of a frequent guest of Destiny's The Voice of Science Fiction and Captain Phil's Planet back when I was doing tons of fill-ins when I was still living on living on Long Island 
And uh, I think they changed. I did so many fill-ins back then. I, I they changed the letters from W U S B to W U S me. There you go. <laughs> So you have um, lots of great uh, stories out, uh, amazing stories, magazine appearances, um, the uh, the new album. How is the new album doing, Paul? The new album is, is doing great. In fact, there's a major review coming up in Ugly Things magazine. And I think despite its title, it's going to be a pretty <laughs> good review. That's going to be in the September issue. And I heard from a little birdie that the pressing the first pressing that light in the attic records is distributing the vinyl is very close to being sold out which brings joy to my heart because that means they'll go into a second pressing so i'm having a lot of fun the one negative thing i feel badly about this coming friday I was supposed to do a live concert, in contrast to a dead concert, up in Somerville, uh, Massachusetts, with a couple of groups that are far better known than I am. The Alpacas, a couple of other groups. And of course, that's been canceled for the obvious reasons, and we're not doing a virtual concert instead of that. So I'm having a great time doing virtual concerts, but now that I'm back in my musical mode again, I'm really looking forward to a time when everyone is vaccinated, when Trump is out of office, and we can all live like human beings again. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that, too. Um, You know, um, before we get into the DNC, well, first of all, let's give out, before I get too emotionally uh, crazy here, um, give me all the pertinent uh, URLs. If you want to acquire this first pressing vinyl still, where can you get it, Paul? Well, uh, lots of places. Uh, The easiest one is just go to paullev.com, P-A-U-L-L-E-V.com, C-O-M, and click on shop, and you'll find how you can order the vinyl there, you can order the CD, even order original sealed copies of my previous album, Twice Upon a Rhyme, which came out in 1972. So that's where you can uh, buy my music. You can listen to it free of charge to your heart's content on Spotify, on Bandcamp, uh, and all the best and worst places in the musical universe. But everybody knows music sounds better if you pay for it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's better than me, for sure. And and um, what about uh, your stories in Amazing Stories? Is don't, haven't you either either published a new story recently or have a, one coming up soon? I do have one coming up soon, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. Oh, no. So, uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be coming up. You know, Amazing Stories had a very successful recent Kickstarter, so they're going to be uh, booming away for at least a couple of years based on the amount of money they raised. Sweet. And uh, I will be having a very special story in w- one of the uh, first few new issues that come out. Uh, this year, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, amazing stories um, around forever, and it, 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 it's the magazine that never dies. And, it, and 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 may may it may it outlive us, Paul. Uh, you know, I just 
love it so much, and it's where so many great writers uh, got started way back in the 1930s, and have, and, can, and continue to do so. So I started um, playing you into Chicago's 1968. I had Bob Logman very excited that we were playing Chicago on the air tonight, and that was audio from the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Um, Paul, I love that song, but I was six years old. <laughs> In 1968, and I could care less about politics back then, although I will tell you my mother was very anti-Nixon, um, you know, and, uh, and and always, you know, was worried about him. And my mother, of course, uh, grew up in uh, Nazi Germany, and my mother knew a fascist when she saw one, <laughs> you know, and, and was always, uh, you know, pointed towards um, the liberal and democratic side of things here. What exactly happened? In, in there, I, I know Dan Rather uh, got beat up, and I heard Dan Rather speak on PBS after this year's um, convention, and he said he saw some action on the floor, and that the the mayor in Chicago was having everybody like not get up out of their seats, and some representative needed to use the men's room, and he got up and they tried to arrest him, and Dan went over there and got beaten. Is is that accurate? Is that what happened? <laughs> Absolutely, and I saw it happen on live television, and this was also one, one of Walter Cronkite's finest moments. So he was a gentleman in Walter Cronkite. He didn't like Nixon any more than any other sane person did, but, but he was, you know, a news anchor, and he usually was very well controlled. And when he saw what was happening to Dan Rather, who was indeed being punched, uh, Walter Cronkite, his sonorous voice said, it looks like there are thugs down there. Uh, Dan, and you know that might sound a rather uh, restrained statement, but for Walter Cronkite to call Mayor Daly's security forces thugs was a was a big deal. And I have to tell you that convention was as heartbreaking uh, to me and my wife Tina. She was just my girlfriend back then, as the. DNC convention of the past week was so uplifting mm. for, for a bunch of reasons. We were coming out of Robert F. Kennedy being assassinated after, of course, JFK had been assassinated. The truth is, my wife and I were fervent Eugene McCarthy supporters because he was much earlier in denouncing the Vietnam War. We welcomed Robert Kennedy coming along, but we wanted Eugene McCarthy. And for whatever reason, after Robert F. Kennedy was killed in Los Angeles, Eugene McCarthy's campaign, which should have been energized because he was the only progressive left in the field, pretty much fell apart. And the, the nomination was given to Hubert Humphrey, who, you know, at his best in the early 1960s was a good liberal. But apropos Phil Oaks' song, Love Me, Love Me, Love Me, I'm a Liberal, even has the line, I cheered when Humphrey was chosen, my faith in the system is gone. <laughs> it's basically a spoof of these liberals in the early 60s. And so, you know, Hubert Humphrey wasn't the worst, but the difference between Humphrey and McCarthy was like day and night with McCarthy being day. And then when you add it to that, this, this fascist here in the United States, Richard Daly, who, by the way, there's a, a wild story in itself. I mean, I call him a fascist. He, he was, but he may have been responsible for John F. Kennedy becoming president because he was mayor of Chicago in 1960. And rumor has it that he 
pulled out whatever votes from the files of dead people oh that he needed to put Kennedy over the top in <laughs> Illinois. So, so I guess that was doing a bad thing for a good purpose. Oh my goodness! But he was responsible for those thugs that attacked uh, um, Dan Rather, and uh, I have never been more furious uh, in my yeah. life than I was back then. Yeah, it's 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 amazing to see that footage, and 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 of course, uh, Dan Rather uh, was commenting on this last week. Um, I was watching because um, we don't have cable TV up here. I was uh, picking up the whole thing on PBS. I heard the PBS coverage wasn't as good as some of the other coverage. I was happy with it. You know, I there was a few places where I felt they stepped on the speakers a little bit. They they went away too. They had David Brooks on too. I'm not a big fan of David Brooks. Um, but that being said. Um, I was able to hear everything crystal clear, uh, and this was a really unique and an odd experience because this is the first convention, Democratic convention, political convention I've listened to that I, I haven't been put off by, by the screaming and the theatrics and the football-like and the cheerleaders and the, and, the, and the balloons and the hats and all the nonsense. This was all about the content it was all about the words it was all about what they say they're going to do and i found that to be very amazing and very interesting uh what were your thoughts paul well i thought the same and for several reasons one if you think about it what the virtual convention did for the first time is it equalized the delegates and all you know, the big names that are always part of the convention and, and sort of feed into that halftime Super Bowl atmosphere. It equalized that with everybody else in the United States and for that matter, the world. We were all in the same position. That is looking at the people on the screen, hearing what they're saying through our phones and through our computer screens and through our television screens. And I thought that was a, an enormously democratizing, in this case with both a small and a capital D, democratizing experience. And, and I would just add here, you know, in this age of COVID, there's been an enormous amount of criticism of we have to do everything online. I once heard a professor who's not a professor at Fordham University, but I know him, say literally he'd rather cut off his right arm than teach a course online. And every time I hear someone talk like that, I say, well, you probably don't have much online teaching experience and or you're probably not a very good in-person teacher. Because if, if you are a teacher, you understand that teaching is just a presentation of information and you can do it as effectively online as you can in person and in some cases even more effectively online because in the case of uh, both teaching a class online as i'm doing it for them actually just starting in a couple of days and i did over the summer and in the case of a convention distance is no longer a an obstacle that gets in your way you know you, most people don't live where the convention is held physically and so what are they going to do, fly in there? There's only enough room anyway for a very limited number of people. So this way, everyone participates in the convention. And on the other side of that, I found it truly inspiring. And I've got to tell you, it brought tears to my eyes seeing these people, you know, from all walks of life, from all across America, talking 
like that. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of the most profound experiences I, I've ever had, and it really gave me hope for the future. When they did the delegate votes, the delegate votes around the country, each state, uh, Guam, you know, the islands, yeah. Berm- you know, Bermuda, uh, whatever, yeah, um, all the different, Rhode Island, you know, <laughs> Right. It was it was touching, and and because you think well, those red states or those liberal coastal elites, you know, and it's like no, it's it's your neighbor, it's your brother-in-law, it's your nephew, it's you know, it's 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 all of us, and it didn't matter. Um, I found that tremendously moving as they went from state to state, and in some cases they used it. To, to, to promote their state a little bit or talk about what's going on in their states and and uh, and there was a message but it was profoundly um centering and instead of separating the country the way the current administration by the way boys and girls who are listening right now the opinions expressed here tonight on wusb stony brook are not those of the management or the station in and of itself this is paul and captain phil's opinion and if you have an issue with our opinions, that's great, um, you know, uh, complain to us, but it is not the station in general. So just, just so you know. And Paul's not running for office, so I don't need to put on an equal voice. <laughs> if one still exists out in the world, an equal opposite voice, uh, if an opposite voice still exists out there. Um, but no, I found, I found it tremendously unifying that at one point it showed the vastness and the, the reach of our country, and at the same time, put everything in my living room and these are basically people who i'm sitting at the thanksgiving dinner table talking to and and it really connected me in that manner and i found that to be um a positive feat for them now controversy um aoc was called out on on nominating bernie sanders but she was doing what she was supposed to do correct Absolutely. And, you know, the the so-called pundits, I don't know who appointed them pundits. Hey, appoint me as a pundit. What do you have to do to become a... But basically, right, some of these, you know, uh, arbiters of what you're supposed to do at conventions obviously weren't paying attention because, indeed, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, had a fair number of votes, a fair number of delegates. He didn't win. But, in fact, what has always been done at conventions is... People uh, are nominated. And in many ways, that makes it seem more authentic. I mean, Biden is going to win either way because he has the delegates. But what harm is done in having someone like AOC make uh, statements in favor of Bernie? And and I have to say, you know, this will probably upset people, but too bad. Uh, I, I always thought there's a very big difference between Bernie and AOC and and some of their supporters. Uh, I, I've run into some of this was, I mean, you know, one of the things about social media, it, it's both uh, liberating, but it's aggravating. The, the number of people, someone just put something in uh, as a comment on a video on my YouTube channel. Um, and I, I've done like a whole bunch of podcasts and they automatically show up as videos on YouTube. So I did a podcast because about two weeks ago, Rolling Stone had an article. Uh, I think his name was Wade Davis, a Canadian anthropologist. His thesis was America is so far gone mm. that what happens in the November election doesn't matter. Mm. And I, you know, was so uh, 
inspired by that uh, to, to show why that's wrong, I basically took that argument apart, I think, and it was posted as a podcast, the gist of which is elections matter. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, elected in 1932, saved the nation from the Great Depression. And just like Barack Obama got us out of the Great Recession in 2008, they don't just cure everything, but they make a, a difference. And just yesterday, someone puts a comment in, clearly a Bernie supporter, telling me to wake up. <laughs> that basically, it doesn't matter. Listen to this. It doesn't matter whether Trump or Biden are in the White House. They're both in the pockets of corporate America. Uh, they're not going to get anything done, just like uh, Clinton and Obama got nothing done. And so I asked him saying Obama got nothing done. Yeah. Ask everyone who benefited from the Affordable Health Care Act whether Obama got nothing done. So um, there's this craziness on both sides, unfortunately. There, there are people who go ballistic every time someone says something about Bernie or AOC or dares to criticize what a, a central plank of the Democratic Party is. But just as crazy are people who think Hey, uh, but there's no difference between Biden and Trump. I, I honestly think Marshall McLuhan used to say the only people who have proof of their sanity are people who are discharged from mental institutions. <laughs> I, 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 I honestly think those people, like that fellow who wrote to me, he wouldn't be discharged from a mental institution <laughs> if he had the view that, hey, there's no difference at all between Biden and Trump. Uh, being being the the father of of a 24 year old my 24 year old was bernie all the way and i told jamie from the get-go they're never gonna let him have it it's gonna be biden i felt that from the beginning bernie's job in my opinion was to pull the whole ship to the left you don't steer a ship by yourself it's a big big thing and bernie of course it would have been i would have been happy you know to see bernie up there i think bernie probably could have well who knows but i think bernie you know there's going to be there's probably going to be alternate science fiction down the road where bernie wins the election you know or or trump wins you know trump wins or whatever you know it'll be one of those you know um alternate universe things but um i think um bernie's presence and voice have been heard. You know, people like to tell me Occupy Wall Street did nothing. You know, when Occupy Wall Street was out there, and it says, no, Occupy Wall Street created language. They created the uh, idea of the 1% and the 99%. If it wasn't for Occupy Wall Street, Barack Obama wouldn't have said the 99% or the 1%. And I think Bernie, God bless him, because we know he's going to be too old to run again. You know, and hopefully may he may he long, you know, live in the Senate, but I don't see him coming back in 2024. Um, but I feel like his passions and his ideas um, have had an impact. And hopefully, like the pebble in the prond will ripple out far and far and wide. Uh, what say you, Paul? Well, I agree with that. I mean, but I, let me just one very important point. You know, I think it's important how we speak about these things. You said you knew they wouldn't let yeah. it happen. <laughs> I let, felt that, be, yeah. yeah. I had that in the back be, of my head. Let's, yeah. let's be clear who the they is. The they are the voters. It's no nefarious force. Basically, as, as we well know, Clyburn strongly endorsed Biden in the South Carolina primary. 
Biden was was looking not too good before then. He came in what third in Iowa. Yeah. Didn't do too well in New Hampshire, and he basically fought back and he fought back and he won and he won. Uh, and then Amy Klobuchar endorsed him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The they are the voters, and it remains to be seen whether or not they made the, the right decision. I mean, we'll never know. You're right; it would take an alter in history to know whether, had Bernie gotten the nomination, he would have beaten Trump. We still don't know if Biden will beat Trump. I felt all along that I care about many things, but the thing I care most about is getting this. Hitler out of yes. office. Yes, we have to get him out of office. Yes. He is dangerous. He's God knows how many people have died because of his yes. horrible mishandling of the pandemic, and so I, I think that Biden, you know, has the best chance of doing that. And let me just also say, you know, I, and this gets back to something you were saying before, and I mentioned Marshall McLuhan. What the Democratic National Convention. In virtual form, did it, it was a great realization of another one of McLuhan's key concepts: the global village. Mm. Because I think all of us who were watching it on television, and it, it was worldwide. You could see it on television any place in the world, certainly any place that you had streaming. It, it, and that in itself was a very, very hopeful bringing together of of the human species. And I think we're in. You know, a great shape now to mount a successful challenge to Trump.、Uh, I have to say, I've been、uh, debating with myself how much, if any, of the Republican National Convention I should watch. On the one hand, as a media scholar, as a professor, I'll probably watch some of it. But on the other hand, my stomach can only take so much. <laughs> You know, and, and I don't want. To, I like my television screen. I don't. I don't want to break it by throwing something. At it.、So. I I'm looking forward. Now I didn't see all of the DNC. Um, you know, because we were doing things like cooking dinner during it. We like to eat dinner late up here. We were eating dinner like at nine nine o'clock at night, or I'm cleaning up and now ten. But I but I have it on the background, and we we re-listened to some of the、uh, major speeches on the Rachel Maddow podcast. You know, they replayed、uh, the Obama speech and the Jill Biden speech, and of course、uh, Joe Biden speech, and and those important speeches.、Um, but I really want to watch the Republican one to. Because I think it's going to be like watching a train wreck in, in, in over four days, you know. Because I mean, some of the I just listened to the clarity, to the depth, to the compassion of of what they were saying. And you may not like everything they were saying, but you can't say they don't care. You can't say that. You can't look into his eyes and say he doesn't care about you. He has lost. Family, just like so many Americans have lost family in this COVID, he understands. It's he's not going to sit there and and say, "Guess who's got the cure?" The My Pillow dude. You know, yeah, <laughs> this is ludicrous, ludicrous. You know,、uh, or, or 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 passing out blank checks to corporations and call it relief. You know, while people are on breadlines in New York right now. You know, it's 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 it's, it's so you need to have some sort of. You need to have a heart, and I don't see that they're not going to be able to go up there and start their what they did in 2016, which is we hate Hillary, we hate this, we hate that. You know, it's 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 hard. It's hard to maintain that level of of anger and and negativity. I I think so. 
and the people yeah. they have and the people they have um, booked that I've been reading about so far um, are not giants of clarity or giant, great speakers. You know, I just am happy I can talk to somebody or listen to somebody you know on a stage that has the ability to put three words together in a coherent fashion. <laughs> no, so. yeah, no, I, I know. Well. You know, I mean, right, the lead speaker on Monday, I think, is Donald Trump Jr. Oh, I mean, boy. That, that, that's the best uh, that, that they could uh, get. Uh, you know, you touched on a very important point about Joe Biden. And it's one of the things that attracted me to him. And uh, just so you know, uh, our kids, they were both uh, Bernie supporters. And then one was Warren supporter, one of Bernie supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so, I, I, you know, I have a lot of sympathy and I agree with a lot of those views. But one of the things that did attract me to Biden is he has experienced, you know, the most profound human suffering. Thank God most people don't experience it, right? Most people people experience, which is bad enough, is you lose a parent. Maybe you lose a sibling, Mm -hmm. you know, as you get older. Uh, But anyone who's a parent you know, can understand, you know, what Joe Biden went through, not once, but twice. And if there's truth to, and this goes back to ancient times, that what tests your soul the most are the greatest tragedies that happen to you. And if you live through those tragedies, you're stronger, you're more empathetic, you're more aware of what needs to be done to help people around you in the world, we've never had a candidate like uh, Joe Biden. I mean, the only family that has suffered, I, I don't know if you can even compare those two things, but in, in a comparable way in some way is is the Kennedy family. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things you know, I, uh, that brought tears to my eyes, I don't know if you saw this part of the convention, was when Carolyn Kennedy and her son, Jack Schlossberg, endorsed Biden. And, you know, I've seen Carolyn Kennedy before. This was the first time I saw Jack. He's like a young man in his 20s. And I was, and he has the bearing of his grandfather. And, you know, he looks like his uncle. And I was just thinking what that family has gone through, what Carolyn Kennedy has gone through. I mean, it's just unimaginable, you know, to, to most other people. And I think that that kind of testing by what the universe has to throw at you. If, if you can get through that and live through that, that makes you, in many ways, a more effective person for being sensitive and doing something about the, the tragedy and the problems around you. Getting back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I don't think it's coincidence that he was paralyzed from polio. Mm. A lot of people didn't even know that in the 1930s because they didn't have television. They heard him speaking on the radio. He had a great basso, profundo voice. Uh, but I think that tempered FDR. He also was, he came from a patrician family, which Biden didn't. Um, uh, but FDR's family was even more patrician than the Kennedys. They went back a long way. And yet he had this profound empathy for the working class. And again, he did a lot of things that I don't agree with, but he did a lot of wonderful things like putting Social Security into effect, like putting people out there to build bridges and infrastructure. Yeah. 
And I think that Joe Biden will be doing a lot of that as well. Well, the, in the moment this, I mean, um, we're a little bit running up against the clock here, but uh, just so you know, it is 928 here, and you're listening to WSB Stony Brook. Our sports show with Matt Mankiewicz is going to be coming up at 10 o'clock. Um, but I do want to touch on some of the other speeches, uh, Paul. Um, a lot of a lot of the things uh, that were said, um, going back going back to the crisis, that's what I wanted to say. This was an opportunity for the nation to come together like we did in World War II, where we were converting factories to build tanks and planes and things. We could have been converted factories to build... You know, the breathing machines to build PPE, you know, to do all these things. And this current admin administration has sat on their hands. And this was could have been a place where the out-of-work people could have been working in a factory, putting, you know, shipping out face masks, you know, or working on the, um, you know, the breathing machines, the name of which has fallen out of my head at this opportune moment. Um, you know, <laughs> um, all these things to help combat this, uh, you know... Um, you know, tracing, um, tracing infections, all these things. These these are jobs that could be done by by a lot of the people who are currently out of work because they worked in a restaurant, they owned a business that had people going in and out of. And and the way to get out of this is, of course, to not spread the virus. So this sort of thing has been ignored, and instead, it's been like get back to work, send your kids back to school. We want the unemployment numbers to stay low. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the irony about Trump is he he survived uh, the Mueller report. He survived impeachment. He should have survived neither. Yeah. But in, in an odd, ironic way, he was given a chance to redeem himself. He could have done exactly the things that you are talking about. But he is so depraved. He has such little humanity in him. And as many people have said, all he cares about is his own image yeah. uh, is the, uh, that he, he not only is responsible, which is far more serious for all the deaths of the people that a, a more prompt and effective response to the pandemic could have avoided, but he's also responsible for, in effect, undermining this last chance that he had to have even a smidgen of decency and effectiveness as a president. Instead, he rambles on his stupid nonsense all the time. He, he attacks the post office. I don't have to go over all the various things. I'm yeah. sure you listeners know. But I mean, this is the monstrosity that got into the White House. And uh, that's why, you know, again, to get back to our discussion of Bernie and, and, and Bernie supporters, any Bernie supporter who doesn't get out there and vote for Biden, I'm sorry, I think that person has some kind of mental problem also. Because the result will be that Trump will have another four years and yeah. God knows what's going to happen if that happens. I truly believe, you know, I feel like that's a Facebook sort of thing where people say, well, I'm not, whatever. And it's like, no, it does matter. It really does. Because had the election um, been properly counted in 2016 and we had a President uh, Clinton again, you know, not that I was super crazy about Hillary, but she was way more qualified at this than anybody else. I guarantee you, we might not have been um, underwater in COVID, but we would have been way ahead of it. You know, it, it, there might have been problems here and there, but we would have been tackling this maybe not as well as Obama handled Ebola, you know, but but definitely not this. <laughs> you know, definitely we wouldn't be the worst in the world. Um, 
what was your favorite speech besides Biden? What was your favorite speech at the uh, convention, Paul? Uh, that's really tough because there were a lot of really outstanding speeches. I would say Obama, and and here is why. I, I thought Michelle Obama's was fabulous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought there were, there were lots of good speeches. But what really got me about Obama is this is not the kind of speech that Obama likes to deliver. Yes. If you look at the history of Obama back at the 2004 Democratic National Convention in Boston, his first speech, his speeches when he was running for president, his speeches, you know, on inauguration day twice, they were always hopeful speeches. They were always lifting the country up. And it must have taken a lot for Obama to take the talent that he has. And he helped write this speech as well as deliver it. It must have taken a lot for him to make his speech a dire warning, which that's what it was. And uh, it affected me you know, very deeply j- just on the human level. Because I see, I, I saw this person who is not comfortable doing that. This is the last thing that Obama wanted to do, but he felt he had no choice. And I really respect him for it. Yeah. And I thought that was also the best speech of his career. Yeah, yeah. It was a kind of an amazing thing. I tell you, well, I, I don't know if this counts, you know, because they weren't keynote speeches, speeches. But, well, actually, I, I do have to say Jill Biden, I thought, was, was awesome just from the fact that um, she's a fellow teacher, you know, like you and me, you know. And then I was like, yes, you know, someone with, with the respect of the profession because there's so many people pulling down the profession, uh, you know, in so many different places. It was good to see the DNC get behind that profession uh, very nicely, I thought. But uh, for me, uh, the, the person who said, and this was just like a quick, you know, soundbite sort of thing, the woman who said, my my father was a Trump supporter, and he got COVID. His only precondition was he was a Trump supporter, and it killed him. I thought that was yeah. tremendously powerful. It kind of knocked me off my feet. And then, of course, the young boy, the 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy who stuttered. Um, I get tears in my eyes thinking about what he, what he did. It was yeah. – you could hear a pin drop during that speech. It was just astonishing. How can anybody mock – Anybody with a disability after that kid spoke, because you know they're going to go after Biden for his for his uh, stuttering disability. And I was I was gobsmacked when when they did that. And I just thought it was brilliant. They put they put his disability front and center and they said, you want to come after us? Go ahead. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, I, I amazing. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Both those. I agree with you completely. Uh, as far as uh, the the teenage boy uh, in New Hampshire, you know, with the stutter, if you just think for a second of the courage, mm-hmm. the bravery that he was able to summon, because, you know, you and I are adults, even we wouldn't be comfortable uh, to, to talk like that in public. I can barely do this radio show without without soiling myself. <laughs> I, I think about how we were when we were thirteen. Yeah, and look, as you know, I'm uh, there are few people as arrogant as I am. But but when I was thirteen, I was a little less arrogant than I am now. I was a little, I you know, and I, I I was I I've never seen anything like that, and. As far as the young woman who said that, right, my, my father died, his only precondition was that he trusted Trump. Wow. Uh, you know, that was like a smack right in the face. 
because you talk about people speaking from the heart, the anger, mm-hmm. the righteous, justified, good anger that this woman had was just what I think the country and the world needed to hear mm-hmm. because that was the result her father dying is the result of course no one forced his father her father to follow trump but neither did trump have to say it and here is what trump's gibberish his stupid gibberish resulted in yeah. his stupid nonsense said oh it's going to go away don't worry about it you don't need to wear a mask all his stupid nonsense and she lost his father it, her father yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, those of you who are listening out there, and if you have lost um, someone to COVID nineteen, uh, you know we are here for you. The the station is here for you. We you know and and please, you know please. Um, um, if you're alone and if you're upset and if things you know if you've lost somebody, um, talk to somebody about it. Please do. It's it's a tough thing. You know we've lost we've lost people in our family to COVID, so we know we we're there too. So it's it's been it's been. Well, what do I say? I say COVID is a monster. You have to treat it as such. You know, you don't you don't mess with a monster. It is a monster. It's probably one of the the worst pandemics uh, in my lifetime. Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, and and, and uh, we need we need to get going on this because we've been delaying our our reaction to it for too long. Paul, it's almost time to split. Um, so let me let's get out all your credits one last time. Um, give me your website and where to find you on and virtually, and and uh, yes, and the music and, and the stories and everything. Okay, first of all, I'm very friendly. If you say hello to me on any of these places, I'll definitely say hi. Thanks. So Twitter at Paul Lev, P A U L L E V. My website. PaulLev.com, P-A-U-L-L-E-V.com. My blog, it, where I talk about everything, politics or view science fiction, all kinds of stuff, that basically is InfiniteRegress.tv, where you'll find everything that pertains to Infinite Regress. You can figure out what that means. Uh, as far as my music is concerned, you just search on me on Spotify, on Bandcamp. You can listen to that uh, free of charge. And last but not least, if you're interested in any of my novels, any of my nonfiction books, just search on my name on uh, Amazon and you'll find a lot more than you would like to see, I'm sure. Everybody healthy, Paul? Everybody good? The family good? Everybody staying safe? Everybody's staying safe, and my wife and I are, you know, having a good summer insofar as we finally been able to see our grandkids. Mm. Not really hug them because our kids are worried that somehow that's going to, you know, communicate the virus to us. But we've gotten together with the family three or four times, and it's like mana from heaven, wow. you know, being able to see your family. So we're feeling very good. I look forward to reading your reactions. Um, horrified and otherwise to the Republican National Convention uh, next this this coming week, and I am going to to pop a giant bowl of popcorn and sit back, and enjoy the show. I can't decide if it's going to be as good as Plan Nine from Outer Space or as good as Manos: The Hands of Faith on Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. I will say I would love to have the Mystery Science Theater crowd um, commenting throughout it. Maybe that would make it more watchable. Um, so yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun watching that and uh, next this week, and uh, we'll see what happens. And everybody, please, um, you know, get out there and vote. Um, either 
we didn't discuss the issues with the post office. We're running out of time for that. But please get out and vote. And uh, however you can, I know New York has early voting. So that can be done. And uh, Paul, thank you so much. It's a short notice. This this fell into my lap around 5 or 6 this afternoon. And I quickly shot you a message. And like the Thunderbirds, <laughs> you were ready to go. We just did the uh-huh. countdown and you launched right out of the silo. So it was, it was so great to see you again, my friend. <laughs> Same here. I'm always ready to go at about Plan 9 from Outer Space. Bear in mind, that's a science fiction movie. But we're going to see this week as a horror movie. <laughs> Big difference. Oh, how awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. Take care. You too. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Bye. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little conversation on WUSB. I'll be back here soon, no doubt, with another podcast. In the meantime, stay safe and enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson still code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.